remain standing, please, and grab your Bibles and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we'll read one verse, we'll pray, and then we'll be seated. Once again, please keep Pastor Nisabel in your prayer. That's none of us, but Pastor Bell. Uh, he is at home taking care of his wife, making sure she is taken care of after her surgery. Please keep them in your prayers as she is recovering. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we'll read one verse, verse number 27. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 27. The Bible says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word, Lord. I pray that you'll speak to me, Lord. Put me out of the way and, and use me as a vessel to preach your word. Lord, I don't want to fill a time slot. I don't want to just uh, fill up some space. I want to answer a problem. I want to help. So, Lord God, I pray that you'll use me during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Just this past Tuesday, we had a pastor meeting uh, from Lighthouse Baptist Church in uh, Lancaster come preach our uh, Anchor Baptist School Chapel. And while he was here, he was talking about some of his escapades of uh, bicycling because he's a bicyclist uh, and, and he enjoys bicycling. It's what he, he likes to do. He's really into it. He talks about how he can get it down to how many calories he needs to take, intake each hour if he's on a really long bike ride. Good for you. Uh, uh, but he, he was coming and he was telling about one of his, one of his, he was telling us a story about one of his crashes. And uh, he said he was going down, uh, going down this way, real thin tires, you know, going probably like 27 miles per hour. He said I hit a, you know, stick about, you know, inch and a half, big around, he said, and, you know, going 20 miles per hour, real thin tire, big stick, not a good combination. And so that's what happened. He hit the stick, flew over the, the handlebars, hit his head on the ground, he had had a major problem there for a while, had to go to uh, uh, rehab and things like that, wasn't able to preach for a little bit, um, and he was telling this story about it, and later on, after he was able to get back up on his feet and, you know, uh, resume pastoring and things like that, uh, one of one of his uh, uh, men asked him, he said, Pastor Manning, he said, I have to know, why do you believe God allowed this to happen? Do you think this was uh, God trying you? Do you think God was trying to teach you something? Uh, do you think this is a, a, a temptation of the devil? Do you think the devil's uh, trying to come after you? What do you think it is? Why do you think you had a crash? And Pastor Manning answered and he said, because there was a stick. And he says, no, 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 you misunderstand me. He said, why do you think God allowed the crash to happen? Like, why did your crash happen? He said, no, 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 I understand what you're saying. He said, my crash happened because I hit a stick. I, I want to look at some some passages from the Bible here, and I want to talk about something tonight. As we see here in 1 Corinthians, but God has chosen the foolish things, the simple things, the weak things, the things that no one would think of because they're so simple. They're so small and insignificant. I would like us to flip to 2 Kings chapter number 5, 2 Kings. Second Kings chapter number five. If you're familiar with the chapter, you should already know what it is. Uh, with the you know, first two words, now Naaman, as is talking about uh, uh, the captain of uh, one of the uh, Syrian armies of the king of Syria. Uh, he was the captain of the host for the uh, king of Syria. And I want to read a few uh, verses from this section here, and I want to talk a little bit some, some about him, and then we'll go to uh, two other passages and look at some of the accounts from the Bible there. So in Second Kings chapter number 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 5. The Bible says, And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. So if you're not familiar with the story, 
Naaman. He, he is a major factor of the military of the, for, the Syria, for the king of Syria. And he has leprosy, which at this time of history, uh, it's still a major disease today, but in this time of history, it was, you know, a death nail. It was signed the death certificate. It's just a matter of time before you die. Your body slowly gets eaten up, and, and that's the ball game. Uh, so for this, this was a big deal. One of his major military men, his captain of the host, now had leprosy. And so the king of Syria, uh, there was actually a maiden girl uh, that was from, that was a Hebrew, that was a Jew. She was from Israel. And she told uh, Naaman's wife, she said, if he would only be able to go see the man of God in Israel, he would be able to help him. He might be able to heal him. And so when Naaman was told this, he went to the king of Syria, and then the king of Syria wrote this letter and sent it with him uh, to the king of Israel. And in verse number 7, the Bible says, And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So the king of Israel thinks the king of Syria is just trying to pick a fight. He's trying, to, he's trying to find a reason so he can come over and fight. He's trying to say, I asked you a very simple thing. Heal my man of leprosy, okay? Uh, and because I won't be able to, he's going to use that as a reason to come and fight me. This is what the king of Israel is thinking. And so in verse, uh, we'll skip down, uh, verse number eight. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king and saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha hears about it, and he sends word to the king. He says, Send the man to me. I, I will take care of him. In verse number 9, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. So him and all his entourage goes to the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So we see Naaman here, right out the get-go, when... when Elisha sends down the message from his servant saying, oh yeah, just go down to Jordan, dip yourself seven times, you'll be good to go. Uh, immediately, the Bible says he was wroth. He, he was expecting some uh, uh, full-on production from Elisha to come out, call upon the name of the Lord, and be healed, okay? Uh, apparently, they had those days too, okay? Uh, that's what he was looking for. I mean, that's what he said. Clap his hands over the place and, whoa, he's clean, okay? And that's what he was looking for. That's what he thought. But see, God had a different plan. See, God's plan was the simple thing. I want you to go down to the river, the Jordan River, which is not clean. And I want you to go down there and I want you to dip yourself seven times. Go down to the water, go underneath. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. On the seventh time, you're going to come up and it's all going to be good. And his servants even said to him, Master, look, if he asked you to do something crazy, you would go and do it. But he's asked you to do something very simple. Why can't we at least do it? So we see here, we, we see an instance of people trying to look for the crazy and the complex and the big and the crazy when God is looking for the simple. I want to go to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. We see here uh, uh, Jesus Christ and some of his disciples are at the Mount of Transfiguration. Mark chapter number 9, we'll read a couple verses here from this account. Mark chapter number 9, starting in verse number 1, and the Bible says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. 
And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So Jesus calls out uh, three, Peter, James, and John, and calls them up to the Mount of Transfiguration, where he is transfigured before them. Hence, Mount of Transfiguration. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. I mean, imagine this sight. You're there, and all of a sudden, Jesus transfigured. He changed into a glorified form. And all of a sudden, Elias and Moses are right there, and they're talking with, with Jesus like it's just, you know, a regular Monday morning. Okay? And it's just like nothing crazy is going on. Just imagine being Peter, James, and John, just seeing this like... Okay. And so in verse number five, here we see, and Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wished not what to say, for they were so afraid. Good old Peter. Uh, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son hear him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. Once again, we see here another account from the Bible where something happens, some story happens, some significant thing happens, and an individual is looking for the, the crazy and the complex. Uh, Peter says, oh, it's good that we're here. We should build a temple to Elias. We should build a temple to Jesus. We should build a temple to Moses. And God's saying, hold on, calm down. You're getting too crazy. Ah, simple. Simple. I want us to go to John, John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11, starting in verse 11. The Bible says, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. So we're here just this morning uh, when Brother Pledger was preaching. This is the story of Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus, he was sick unto death. They sent, uh, Mary and Martha sent a, message, uh, sent a message to Jesus saying, uh, You need to come as quickly as possible. Lazarus is not doing well. He's going to die. And Jesus says, okay, uh, I'll, I'll be there, pretty much is what he tells him. He says, it'll be fine. It'll be all good. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'll, I'll get there when I can. But don't worry. It's in good hands. So now Jesus finally says to them, all right, it's time to go. And this is what he says. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, uh, that I may awake him out of the sleep. Then his disciples, uh, then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. So they're thinking he's sick. Let him sleep. Uh, and uh, howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. So they thought literal sleep, where Jesus was saying, no, he's actually dead. And they didn't get it. And so Jesus understood they didn't get it. So in verse number 14, Jesus says, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's like, ah, it's over the head. Okay, he understood. He said, ah, we're going to go help Lazarus. He's asleep meaning he's dead. He's not just taking a nap. He's dead. And they didn't get it. They thought he was literally just taking a nap. And Jesus had to say, no, Lazarus is dead. Okay, let's get that sit down. And I am glad, and so that Jesus is still talking, so he says, Lazarus is dead. In verse number 15, he said, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So Jesus Christ is expressing joy, saying, I am glad that we were not there just to heal him. He said, I'm glad Lazarus had to go through this so you can see something you've never seen before from part of the power of God. And verse number 16, once again, trying to find the, the crazy complex thing in life, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto the fellows, uh, fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What are you saying, Thomas? Like, what are you going to go, commit suicide? Like, what's going on? But we have a tendency as humans just to, we, we're always looking for the hidden answer. What is, what is the mystery of the word of God? Uh, where, where God is saying in 1 Corinthians, I, I've chosen the foolish things. 
I've chosen the weak things of this world. That's what I have chosen. That's what I choose to use. But we are often so wrapped up in trying to find the deep hidden mysteries of the world and the Bible and all these things. Part of the problem in that is because so often we are so out of balance. And please understand, balance is very important to the Lord. In just Proverbs, three different places, the Bible says in Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. In Proverbs 16.11, the Bible says, a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. In Proverbs 20.23, 20, diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. Okay, that's just talking about weights and things like that. So just imagine how God feels in your own life about not being balanced, not having that good, proper balance that God intends for us to have. We are to emulate God in everything that we can. And God is the God of balance. He is the perfection of balance. One of our biggest problems when it comes to this area of balance is that we are out of balance. And when we are told we're out of balance in an area, as opposed to balancing out, we run to the other side, go to the next extreme. Oh, okay, I need to go all the way over here. And we totally jump shit from this side. We go all the way over here. We go from one extreme to another to another. So like here we see with Thomas in Luke chapter number 11, okay? Jesus said he's sleeping, okay? He's trying to get to a different level with them of understanding. And they weren't there yet. So Jesus Christ had to break it down more simple. He said, Lazarus is dead, okay? Let's get there, okay? Lazarus was sleeping, but I meant he's dead. Okay, and then Thomas got that and said, oh, oh, we need to be more mindful, so let's go to the nth degree. That's good, so we can go die with him. Well, what's, what? But that's, that's a picture of us. Okay, we go from one extreme of uh, the, the simplicity, but then when God tries to bring us up a little bit, then we go to the, we dive off into the deep end of complexity and, you know, uh, spend five years studying, as Pastor says, the word the. Okay, uh, what, what's going on? We're so out of balance, we, we can't keep ourselves balanced. We go from one extreme to the other, to the other, to the other, back and forth. We are so unbalanced, and we sprint from one extreme to the other. I, I just, you know, I can't help but think of this. You know, I feel like the Holy Spirit on the inside is getting seasick. It's going back and forth, like, okay, stop, okay, calm down, all right? Uh, with the constant back and forth, up and down that we are, you know, putting him through because we're going over here and we're going over here and it's just back and forth constantly. You see, our lives are not meant to be tossed up and down, thrown about all over the places because the storms of life come out. Just because something comes up, we shouldn't go all crazy. Oh, we need to go over here. Oh, we need to go over here just because something happens. No, the, the picture of a Christian is supposed to be peace. The peace that passes understanding. That, that is part of what a Christian is, is someone that has the peace of God in their life. So even when the storms of life may come, they can have peace. I remember Pastor Wilkson talked about uh, when he lived in California, when he was a pastor at, uh, I believe it was Long Beach in California. Uh, this was when his, his eldest son died. It was an accident. And there was three other people, there was two other uh, guys in the car. I think they were coming home from a, a camp or something like that. And the car rolled over. The other two guys came out without a scratch. It was just a freak accident. Something happened, and he died right there on the scene. And a week later, you know, Pastor Wilkson, obviously heartbroken, saddened, but he still had the peace of God in his life. He still had God working in his life and still had God as his comforter. And he, he told us this story about he was walking around just outside of his church, walking down the sidewalk. Uh, I think he was about to go do something, about to go somewhere. And uh, this other guy came along, walking along, and he started yelling at him. He's like... Uh, and he was yelling at it because Pastor Wilkson had a smile on his face. And he's saying, I know what happened to you. I know what just happened. He said, how can you have a smile on your face when that just happened not even two weeks ago? How can that be possible? You see, that man had just gone through a very similar situation. I believe he had just lost a child in his own life, in his own family. And he couldn't understand how... Someone else that went through the same exact situation was able to have joy and peace, even though they are heartbroken. Even though their life has just been tossed up in the air, they still had that peace. See, that's a, that should be a staple of Christianity, not, oh, we're going back and forth just because something is changing. We have to change with it. Uh, no, that's not how it's supposed to work. Our life should be 
as Jesus Christ said to the winds and the waves, peace, be still. Even when the waves are crashing around us, it should be peace, be still. We have become too enthralled with the deep mysteries and the missing part that will break open the Christian life and change everything. And now we're going to be super Christians because we're looking for that, that missing part that we can just plug in and now everything in life will be great. That's what we're searching for. That's what we want. But you see, the problem is, is it talks about it in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 at the last part. The Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. See, we're, we're seeking knowledge. We're seeking understanding. You see, but God says, I want you to seek me. Yes, I want you to know my Bible. I want you to learn. I want you to grow. But what is your purpose? What is your reason behind it? Are you doing it just so you can get more knowledge? Or are you doing it so you can get to know me? Do you want to know me? Or do you want to know more for you? What is your purpose? What is your intent? We are missing a crucial but also simple part of our Christian life of growth and behavior. You will not be able to grow as a Christian. You will not be able to be a Christian, period, if you do not have this very simple thing in your life. We all do it. We all do this simple thing, but it's truly not the way it should be. We all do it, or at least we claim we do it, uh, but we really do not accomplish it and do not use it to its fullest extent and to its fullest effectiveness. I want us to go to Mark chapter number nine again. Mark chapter number nine. As we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration, Mark chapter number nine. Begin reading in verse number 14. And the Bible says, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. And the scribes questioned him and saying, straightway all the people, uh, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, uh, running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what, uh, what question, uh, what question, ye, uh, what question ye with them? So Jesus Christ, he comes in and he sees the scribes are asking his disciples some questions. And he says, what, what are you guys asking them? And in verse number 17, and one of the multitude answered and said, master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. So uh, there's a spirit, a child, a man's son that is possessed by a spirit. And he goes on to explain some of how he goes, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, uh, he foameth and gnasheth with the teeth and pineth away. Then I spake to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answered in verse number 19, he answereth them, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. I want to skip over to verse number 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Okay, so Jesus expels the spirit, gets him out. Everyone thinks the kid is dead, but Jesus reaches down, touches him, and he walks away. In verse number 28, and when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. One of the simplest facets of the Christian life, prayer. In fact, it is what you could say the entry into, Christian, into being saved. When you get saved, you pray to God and you ask him, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. It's, it's the entry level deal. It's one of the first things you do. It's how you become a Christian. You pray to God. We see that in Romans chapter number 13, 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You pray to God to ask him to save you. So things that are entry level in a job are things generally you need to know because you're going to be using it a lot. Because it's a basic level deal that you need to know. It needs to be very foundational and it needs to be like the back of your hand. You know it and you are familiar with it because this is going to be a very important task for you to be able to do. That's what prayer is to the Christian. That's what prayer needs to be to the Christian. It's the most basic part and function of our Christian life and our walk in relationship with the Lord. 
It is very important. It is what you could say the entry level basics. If our very Christian life, our eternal life began because we called on the Lord in prayer, why is not that the number one skill in our Christian life? Why is that not something of a higher priority in our Christian life? Why do we as Christians lack in prayer? Uh, there are a couple reasons, but I think obviously the first and foremost, it's too simple. Uh, we, we do it all the time. We say it all the time. You have a problem? Pray about it. Well, that's too simple. Why well, I got to pray about it? Well, because uh, it's the simple things. It's the foolish things God has chosen. It's the weak things God has chosen. More, more people uh, more people would probably go to hell uh, because salvation is too simple. It's true. People that don't believe salvation can be that easy because it's too simple. You see, we as Christians, we don't believe we can really just ask God for things because that's just too simple. No, no, we have to, we start thinking like uh, Catholics and things. We have to do all these things, have to do penance, all this stuff just to get God's attention. Uh, no, God said, I want you to talk yeah. with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. Simplicity throws people off. I mean, ask Naaman. We just look at him. Okay, he was, he was mad. He said, I thought, I thought the man of God was going to come and have a show and all this stuff and woo, I'm healed. No, it's the simple things. It's the simple things that God chooses to use. See, prayer is a unique device. It is the most simple and base level thing a person can do. Anyone can pray. Even the unsaved can pray. God does not promise he will answer the unsaved prayer or listen. Well, he will listen. But anyone can pray. Anyone can pray. Any person can pray to God. I want us to go to James chapter number five. James chapter number five. James chapter number five, uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 16. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. You see, what is the problem? What is the problem in our prayer lives? Well, in James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. One plus one equals two. The effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man. So either the problem is our prayers are not effective or they're not fervent or we aren't righteous. Because if those two things are true, we have effectual fervent prayer and we are a righteous individual, then the Bible says the effectual fervent uh, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not may avail much, not could avail much, no, it does avail much. So there's a problem in our prayer life since our prayer life is not availing much. That means either we do not have effectual fervent prayer or we are not righteous. That's the very base level. You can't get any more simple than that, a very simple addition problem. Either we are not praying with effectiveness and ferventness, or we are not righteous. Therefore, our prayers are not availing much. Why do we not pray? Why is prayer such a big problem? I want us to look at a couple of reasons why prayer might be a problem. We already stated the first one. Prayer is just too simple. It's just too simple. We expect God to always come with a big pony show and all these things and, and, and to make a big masquerade and all these deals, have a full-on production. But God has chosen the foolish things, the simple things. We already talked about Naaman. Going to the River Jordan. Sometimes simplicity is the best thing we need. Just the simplest answer. Because that is what God has chosen to use. But way too often, even we as Christians that know God and know the Bible are looking for the same thing. Just like what Pastor Manning talked about with the one man that was asking him, we're always looking for that secret mystery. That, oh, what, what, what is the mystery that God is trying to teach? Uh, it was a stick. Just a stick. I crashed. 
because it hit a six. Okay, an angel didn't jump out there and pull the string on me. Okay, that's, that didn't happen. There was a stick. We, we are way too often looking for the deep mysteries of the Bible when we should be worrying about the simple mysteries of the Bible that we don't know yet, i.e. learning how to pray. We're seeking for the deep and hidden things, but more often than not, we need what God has placed right in front of us, the simple things. Prayer is just too simple. You see, God is a God of balance. He's not an evil overlord making you search for things that you'll never be able to find, but at the same time, he wants you to have a relationship with him. So we need to have that balance in our own life. But prayer is just too simple for most of us. Just pray about it. I don't want, I don't want that answer. I, I, I want to know what's going to happen. Well, just pray about it. Oh, no, I, I need to know. Just pray about it. It's just too simple. It's too simple. It's too much for us to wrap our minds around that it can't be that simple. But as we saw with the disciples, we are more often than not needing the jelly to be put on the bottom shelf, as we saw in uh, John chapter number 11. Jesus Christ said, we need to go. I'm going to go wake up Lazarus because he's sleeping, not actually taking a nap. No, he was dead, but it was too high for the disciples. We like to think of ourselves as scholars, and we want to know the deep mysteries of the Bible, but uh, we often are like the disciples in the fact that uh, even the little nuanced things are too much for us sometimes, and we we need God to say, Lazarus is dead, okay? Uh, I I don't know how he did it, but it's like, guys, guys, Lazarus is dead. Okay, okay. We way too often think too much of ourselves because we're trying to find the deep mysteries where God is like, okay, let me bring it another level down, okay? This is what I need you to do. This is what I want you to do. This is the truth that I need you to get a hold of. I don't need you to know the the deep nuances and all these numerologies and things like that. They have their place, but God has chosen the foolish and simple things. We need to get back to prayer. We need to pray. Our prayer lines are lacking. We have not prayers that avail much because there is a problem. And I believe one of the problems is is prayer is just too simple for most of us. It's too simple. We want something big. We want something flashy that can grab our attention. But God said, I want you to be simplified. Prayer is too simple. Why do we not pray? Well, prayer is too simple. As well, let's go to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew 26. Another reason why prayer, why we do not pray. Why do we not pray? What is the problem with our Christian life? What is the problem with our walk with God that is so hard for us to pray? Well, one reason is it's just too simple. We want a deeper answer. Well, another reason we can find in Matthew chapter number 26, starting in verse number 38. Matthew 26 and verse number 38, the Bible says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So Jesus Christ, he's talking to his uh, disciples. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. Not, not like Lazarus. Okay. Uh, findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this, cup, uh, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Another reason why we do not pray, prayer is hard. We see here, Jesus Christ himself even said in verse number 41, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even when it's our 
heart's desire. It's what we desire. We want to pray because we know it's what God wants. It's still hard. It may be simple, but it's hard. We see here with the disciples, these are ones that have been spent the past few years of their life with Jesus Christ. They spend almost every single day with Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ has been their daily companion. And when it comes down to it, when it comes time where Jesus asked a request of them, I want you to come and watch and pray with me, they couldn't do it. You see, prayer is not just some walk in the park. Anything that has value in life is going to be a fight for it. A walk with God, a true relationship with the Lord, a prayer life is something worth it. So it's going to take some toil. It's going to be a labor. It's not just going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be a walk in the park. It is a labor. Prayer is a labor. We see here with the disciples, it's not easy. They were struggling. They wanted to. Jesus Christ himself acknowledged the spirit is willing. I know you want to, but your flesh is weak. It is hard sometimes to pray. Even though we may desire with all our hearts, it may still be a trial and a labor to truly pray. I want us to go back to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17. We, look, we read about in James, Elijah, the fervent, effectual, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And then he goes on to talk about Elijah. Well, let's look at the story of Elijah. What, the, what James is describing there in those verses 17 and 18 of James chapter 5. Let's look at the story of Elijah. Let's see exactly what, this, what, what, what James is talking about. In 1 Kings chapter number 17 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So Elijah comes out and says to Ahab, there's not going to be any rain. Not until I pray for it, there will be no rain in this land till I pray for it. And we go over to 1 Kings 18, verse number 42. So Ahab went, uh, went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of, Mount, uh, top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. You see, prayer is not just uh, one and done, lay me down to sleep, I'm good to go, all my problems are solved. No, prayer is a labor. Prayer is something that's going to be work. As we even saw with Jesus Christ, it was an hour that he would pray and then he would come back. And he would go for an hour and pray, and then he would come back. Prayer is not just some easy deal. Prayer is hard. And that's where we get next caught up on. If we were able to get over the fact that prayer is too simple for us, the next thing we have to get over is that prayer is hard. Some of us that have walked with God enough, or we've been a Christian long enough, we've come to church long enough, we can understand prayer is very simple, and we're able to get over that. We're able to say, okay, I understand prayer is simple, but I'm willing to do it. But the next hurdle we have to overcome in obtaining this prayer life and growing our relationship with the Lord is prayer is hard. It is going to be a labor. It is going to be a work. He had to pray. He had to pray. In James, it, it describes it, the effectual, fervent prayer. Okay, that, that's, not, that's not some laying me down to sleep. The effectual, it has effectiveness. When God hears it, it moves him. It's fervent. It has heat to that prayer. There is heat coming from that prayer. There is a lot in that prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man that knew how to pray. We see in 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37. This is where he's uh, going up against the prophets of Baal. And it came to pass at that time of offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. 
You see, Elijah knew how to pray. That's not just, you know, just got saved yesterday and now, ah, yes, I got it all down. No, he had learned how to pray. Notice his prayer here. He, he had learned how to talk to God. Nothing in here was about Elijah. Notice, this is, this is Elijah's goal, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. That was Elijah's goal. It had nothing to do with Elijah. He just said, look, I'm your servant. I'm here to serve you. And God, I've done this to try and bring them back to you. We see also in uh, 1 Kings 17, uh, uh, 17, we see Elijah, when he stayed with the widow, her son dies. And Elijah, the Bible says, uh, in verse number 18, and, and she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou coming to me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord. He cried. He lifted up his voice. This was a big deal to Elijah. And said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow whom, with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this, this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. You see, Elijah was no acquaintance with prayer. He was a fast friend with prayer. He knew prayer. Prayer was his best friend. Elijah was a man that knew how to pray. He knew how to talk with his God. He knew how to commune with his father. Elijah knew how to pray. You see, prayer is not an easy walk. Even Elijah, the Bible says that he cried to the Lord. He cried three times. He would stretch himself out over the boy and cry to the Lord. Lift his voice up to God, letting God know, this is important, Lord. Please hear my prayer. This was important to Elijah. You can feel the, the fervency of it. He cried to the Lord, the effectual fervent prayer. Prayer is not an easy walk in the park. It is a labor. And we haven't even talked about fasting. Prayer in and of itself is hard. When you add fasting onto it, which fasting has its place, has its purpose, that's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother level of hard. But until we get prayer, we need to get that. Anything in life that is worth having will need to be fought for. It'll need to be struggled over. You truly want to be a Christian to bear the title of Christ. You need to learn how to pray. The Lord Jesus Christ, you want to bear the name of a Christian, the title of a Christian? Well, look at his life. Mark 6, 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Luke 6, 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, prayed, and he had effectual fervent prayer. In fact, when he prayed in Gethsemane, there was a point that the Bible says he began to sweat drops of blood. That's how fervent his prayer was. That's how in tune with his prayer he was. He was so broken over what he was praying for, so burdened over what he was praying for, he began to sweat drops of blood. That, that's, that's a major deal. That's a major stress on the human body when that comes to fruition. He continued all night in prayer to God. The Son of God himself, the God-man, 100% man, 100% God, said, no, I need to pray. If Jesus Christ, if the Lord Jesus Christ said, I need to pray, and I need to do it all night long, I need to separate from everyone, I need to continue all night in prayer, who do we think we are that we can, you know, five minutes before we go to bed, oh, I'm good to go. And we expect to have a, an actual true walk with God and have a heart a, a communication to have the heartstrings of God because we had our little 20-second uh, prayer before we jumped into the sheets and put our head to bed. 
really? The Son of God didn't even do that. The Son of God said, you know what, there are some times I, I need the night. I need to get a hold of my Father. Prayer is hard. In Luke chapter number 9, the Bible says, And it came to pass about eight days after these saying, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Jesus Christ has many times, the Lord Jesus Christ has talked about in going to pray. And he went to pray. And he went to pray. And he went to pray. And there's many times where you can see Jesus Christ talking to the Father. The conversation he's having with his Father. You see, prayer is hard work. Prayer is simple. After we get over the simplicity of prayer, we need to get over the hurdle of the hardness of prayer. Prayer is hard. It is hard work. It is not an easy thing to just, whoop, uh, there it is. It is a hard work. Why do we not pray? Well, it's too simple for some of us. It's too hard for the others. But also, as we talked about at the beginning, we are so out of balance. Prayer is a balance. There is a balance to an actual prayer life. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, he said, pray without ceasing. You see, a prayer life is one that has two sides to it. There's two sides to the prayer life. Just think about any strong relationship you may have with someone, a friendship, a marriage, whatever it may be, the communication of that relationship really determines the strength of that relationship. In order to have a strong relationship, there has to be communication. And there usually is two very important forms of communication in said relationship. There has to be times where you sit down one-on-one -on, -one on a regular basis and you have a deep conversation. We talk one with another. We have an actual conversation about meaningful things and we sit down, just you and me. No one else, not with everybody else, just you and I, we sit down and we have an actual conversation of meaning with one another. Any relationship with me, if it's going to be a meaningful, powerful relationship, you have to have that. You have to have a time where you sit down with that individual one-on-one -on -one and you have time where you say, let's talk, just you and me. Let's get serious. Let's have an actual conversation. But on the other side, you also have to have a constant communication. Okay? If the only time I ever talked to my wife was when we sat down one-on-one -on -one at the end of the day and had a deep conversation, and that was it. I didn't talk to her any other time of the day. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would not be good. Uh, that would not be good for me. Obviously not. I just get up in the morning, boop, doing my own thing. Oh, I'll talk to you tonight. Or I talked to her and said, all right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. See ya. That wouldn't be good. But on the other side, I can't just only talk to her in little bits here and there throughout the day. Oh, hey, how's it going? How's this and that? And then move on with life and never actually sit down and talk with her because that won't be good either. So once again, we get so out of balance. We either are really good at having that, what we'd say, uh, a prayer for consciousness. We, we are constantly in a state of prayer where we're fine, where we go throughout the day and we're talking with God. Or... We're really good about having a time of prayer, but we have a hard time balancing the two. We have a hard time finding that balance of, yes, I have to have time where it's just me and God. No one else. It's just myself and my father, and we're talking. But then there's also, as I go throughout the day, I'm just a talk with God. It may not be as deep. It may not be as a sit-down, one-on-one, private conversation, but I'm still talking with God. I still have a constant back and forth between myself and my Heavenly Father. Any relationship needs to have these two parts of the conversation. If they're going to be an actual fruitful and powerful relationship, they have to have them. Prayer is about balance, and it is a life. A life needs certain things to be alive. If your prayer is dead... It's because it's lacking these things. If you can't get the heart of God, you're lacking something in your prayer life. Your prayer life is out of balance. So we'll go, okay, I need to spend some time with God in prayer. So that's all we do. We just spend time with God in prayer, and once we're done, we're done until the next day or the next time we can get around to it. Or 
We talk with God throughout the day, but we never actually sit down and actually talk with God. We'll say quick prayer here and there as I go throughout the day. That's good. That's important. But when's your time where you actually got alone with God and said, it's just me and you? No one else. Nothing else happening. Prayer is about balance. We lack the conviction that effectual, fervent prayer demands or we are unrighteous or both because our prayers are not availing much. Let's be honest. The first person, someone that has a problem, someone that is addicted to something, no one can help them until they are willing to admit, I have a problem. Most people, that's their problem. They don't think they have a problem. Even addicts, that's their number one problem. Most addicts do not truly believe they have a problem. If you don't think you have a problem, you can't be helped. You can't be helped. If you're not willing to look at yourself and say, I have a problem, you can't be helped. If you're not willing to be honest and look at your prayer life and say, you know what? My prayer life is woefully lacking. My prayer life does not avail much. Unless we get to the place in our life where we're actually willing to look at ourselves and be honest as we look in the mirror and say, you know what? My prayer life, it's pathetic. It's sad. It is weak. It is anemic. Until we get to that place, your prayer life will continue to be pathetic, weak, and anemic because we're not willing to be honest with ourselves. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. You see, prayer is either too simple, it's too hard, or we just can't maintain the balance. After we get over the simplicity of prayer, after we get over the hardness of prayer, we have to learn how to balance our prayer. Have a good, fruitful, powerful relationship with our God, with our Father, of being able to say, I have time just between you and me, and I can talk to you as I go throughout the day. I'm working on something, I can talk to God. But if that's my only relationship, that's a very weak relationship. If that's the only time I talk with God is in my prayer closet, that's good. But that's weak. Could you imagine treating your, if your spouse treated you that way? That's the only, oh, we're not in our special conversation chairs. I'm not talking to you right now. But that's how we treat God sometimes. I can't talk to you right now. I'm not in my prayer closet. Well, uh, God's throne is available at any time, but we too rarely actually get a hold of it. See, other where we, we, we lack things. We lack things. Do we lack faith? Do we really trust God? Do you trust God? We, we, we say we do, but once again, your actions speak louder than words. If most of the disciples had a hard time truly trusting God, and we know this because storms going on, they're in the middle of the ocean, Jesus Christ comes walking on the water and he says, come unto me. Out of all the disciples, one stepped out. One. One out of 12 stepped out of the boat and actually says, okay. Of course, it was Peter. Jesus, the Lord's own disciples, had a hard time truly trusting God. Once again, we, we think we're, we're the scholars of trusting in God. Don't fool yourself. Jesus Christ looked at the rest of them and said, Oh, well, he talked to Peter, he said, Oh, ye of little faith. Well, at least he had little faith. And Jesus Christ went on later to say, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, okay, the Jews used that expression of basically saying it's the smallest thing impossible. A mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds known to man. But they use that expression as a, look, it's the smallest it can be. Like, look, if you actually worked with the grain of a mustard seed, we'd have the job done by now, that type of deal. It's like, it's the smallest thing you can do. And Jesus Christ said later on, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you could ask God to move this mountain, and he would. It's not saying you, you could. No, God said, Jesus Christ said, if you had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, that much, you could ask God, I want you to move that mountain over here, and God said, 
because you believe me. Because you actually believe that I can do it. We see it with the Roman centurion. He came and he said, my, my, my servant is sick. And he came to meet Jesus Christ and he said, and Jesus said, where's your house? And he said, look, you're not, I'm not worthy to have you even step in my house. But I know if you just say the word, he'll be fine. And Jesus Christ said, there isn't anyone in all of Israel that has this man's faith. He knows all I have to do is say the word. I don't have to be there. I don't have to go and poof, clap my hands. I don't have to do that. I can. I can go and lay hands on him and heal him that way. But he has the faith. He actually truly believes what he's saying. He's not just saying it because he knows that's what I'm supposed to say. No, he believes in what he said. Do we actually truly believe? We as Christians, we in America, in this world, we are missing, and it's becoming more and more evident that we are missing the great prayer warriors. They're dying off. They are a dying breed. Just last week we were at the Servants Conference and they had Dr. Tom Williams. There are some men of God where you don't even have to hear them talk or anything. When you get in their presence, you can feel something's different. You hear some of the stories of Dr. Tom Williams and his prayers, they'll blow your mind. George Mueller, men that truly took God up on his word, if you ask it, I'll give it. You just ask me. You come and ask me, I can't wait to give it, but I want you to ask me. And, and don't just ask me, I want you to actually believe it. Don't just ask because I know I'm supposed to ask. Ask and it shall be given. No, no, no. Ask because you actually believe that it's going to happen. It's like the two farmers. They both needed rain. They prayed for rain. One actually got up and got his fields ready for the rain to come. One actually believed God. One was just doing it because I know I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to pray for rain, so I'm going to pray for rain. One said, no, I'm going to pray for rain because I know God's going to send the rain once I pray for the rain. Because I know who God is. In Jeremiah 15, verse 1, you want to know some men of prayer that really had the heartstrings of God? Jeremiah 15, verse number 1, Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. God is trying to tell Jeremiah, he said, he's trying to describe to Jeremiah how far the children of Israel have gone astray from him. And he used it by saying, look, if Moses and Samuel were here, I wouldn't even listen. But could you imagine being listed as someone that they ask it? You got it. I mean, you look at Moses' life time and time and time again. God's ready. It's like, all right, I'm done with them. Kill them. Kill them all. And Moses says, stop. For my sake, save them. And time and time again, God said, because you asked me, Moses, I will do it. Because you asked me. And I mean, Samuel. Samuel, throughout almost his entirety of life, was begging God on the behalf of Saul. Samuel, for some reason, had knit his heart with Saul. He loved Saul. And he prayed for Saul, and he prayed for Israel. Understand, Samuel was pretty much done. He was retired. He sent his sons to rule, to be the judges of Israel. They didn't do a good job. So then they asked for Saul to be king. And Samuel almost lived throughout the entirety of Saul's reign. So he was pretty much done. And Saul reigned for 40 years. And he lived a majority of that reign. But what Samuel said at the beginning of the kingdom, he said, I will still be here to teach and to train that which is right. See, Samuel truly had a heart for the people of God, for the Israelites. And God said, look, these two, Moses and Samuel, they had something special with me. They asked me of anything, I couldn't wait to give it to them. Could you imagine having that relationship with God? Where God would be willing to list you as someone that said, if they asked me for something, they got it. No questions asked, it's theirs. 
Who will be the Moses and the Samuel? Who will be the great prayer warriors? Our generation is losing them. We need prayer warriors. People that are willing to say, yeah, I know it's simple. I know it's hard, and I know I need to have a balance, but I'm willing to do it. No matter what it is, I'm willing to make the sacrifice to really get a hold of the heart of God. I'm willing to give my life to pray. You see, our problem is we just don't really believe God. We know we're supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to. But we just don't trust God. We really don't. In order to have a meaningful prayer life, one must act like and believe that a prayer life is meaningful. Many of us don't have an actual prayer life because we could take it or leave it. Oh, it would be good. Yeah, 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 I know. God wants me to pray, and and it would be good. You know, it would be a good thing to happen. But it's a take it or leave it mentality. I, I would like to have it, but am I willing to actually put in the work to have it? I don't know. Yeah, asking a lot now. Really? Once again, we are looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he came. He said, you know what? I need to pray. And not just a little here and there, a little here and there, just before I eat my food. No, no. Jesus Christ prayed. Jesus Christ prayed. All night he would pray. Till he sweat was dripping with blood, he would pray. That's the type of Savior that we had, and we think our prayer life is good. Yeah, because we could take it or leave it. You had that mentality, you'll never get it. Because once again, anything in life that's worth having is going to be worth fighting for. Prayer life will not just be handed to you. The Moses and Samuel life where you can ask God something and God is tripping over himself to give it to you. Yeah, you want it? It's yours. I think of also Abraham. Abraham with Lot and the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham said 50. 50 people. God said, okay. Abraham said, how about 45? God said, okay. 40. God said, okay. And down and down and down, all the way to 10. And God said, Abraham... If that's what you want, you got it. Could you imagine having that type of relationship with God where it's just having a conversation with a friend back and forth? That's who Abraham was. He was the friend of God. Could you imagine having that moniker to your name? Yeah, I'm the friend of God. Wow. That's who Abraham was. That was the relationship he had with God to where he could have that conversation and he knew he could go and ask God, Hey, God. How about 30? God said, okay. You want that, Abraham? Yeah, we can. I can make that happen. And he kept on coming back. And God didn't say, all right, Abraham, enough. No, he's like, yeah, yeah, come talk to me, Abraham. Yeah, let's have a conversation. We are often too concerned about things we have no business being concerned about. Because the very simple things, the things God has put right in front of our face, We've thrown that to the side because we want to find the deep hidden treasures. But God said in 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Prayer is a simple thing. But prayer is a vital thing. See, we know the verse, but do we actually believe it? Charles Haddon Spurgeon had many quotes on prayer. One, of, A couple of them, I want to read a couple of them to you. As well could you expect a plant to grow without air and water, as to expect your heart to grow without prayer and faith. You're not going to grow in God if you don't pray. If you don't have faith in God and actually pray to him, you think you're going to grow as a Christian? No. Stop fooling yourself. Prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscle of omnipotence. You want to get a hold of God, you need to learn how to pray. Elijah, he knew how to get a hold of God. Moses, he knew how to talk to God. Abraham, he knew how to pray. Samuel, these are men that they knew how to talk to God. They knew 
how to move the muscle of omnipotence. They knew how to get God on their side. They knew how to speak to the Lord. Prayer and praise are the oars by which a man may row his boat into the deep waters of the knowledge of Christ. You do want to know about Jesus Christ? You do want to learn about Jesus Christ? You've got to learn how to pray. You've got to learn how to humble yourself down before the Father and say, teach me. I want to grow. I want to know you. you got to learn how to pray. You want to learn about Jesus Christ? You want to learn about the Father? you got to pray. We should desire to earn the title of Christian. Well, the staple of a Christian should be a praying person. What do you do when things go wrong? Pray. What do you do when things go right? Pray. What do you do when nothing's happening? I pray. God is my father. He is my friend. He is my counselor. If you have a counselor, it would be kind of dumb not to ever talk to them and tell them what's going on and ask them, what do you think I should do here? Why, why would you have a counselor then? It would be a waste of time. Why would you have a friend if you never talked to them? These are the things that I think God looks down on us and says, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Just have a conversation with me. I'm sitting up in heaven looking down, just waiting for my children to come and talk to me. Who will be the next prayer warriors? This world needs them. The world needs the next prayer warriors. Be honest. Our prayer lives are not what they should be. Pathetic, weak, anemic. If we can even say they're alive at all. But we can revive them. We can make them stronger than ever. And we can learn how to get a hold of the heart of God. Someone has to. Someone has to be willing to make the sacrifice to get a hold of the heart of God. To say no matter how long it takes, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears I have to give, I want to learn to talk with the Father. I want to learn to be as Elijah and be able to say, if I ask God, it's going to happen. Oh, it'll happen. Ahab, it's not going to rain because I asked God and forgot to. And when I ask him to a will, when I ask him to, it'll rain again. Could you imagine having the confidence of that type of prayer life? To know, I ask God, it's not going to rain. Therefore, it's not going to rain. But you see, that means you actually have to believe God. And that is what God is waiting for. He is waiting for Christians to stand up. He's waiting for Christians to come before the throne of grace and lay themselves down. Let's pray.